The Italian fashion designer Gianni Versace once said, It's nice to have valid competition. It pushes you to do better. And for many within the Sabutio playing community, this could be their mantra. Over the course of conducting interviews for this episode of the podcast, it was clear what drives many of our contributors to play the game competitively. The desire not just to get better and improve, but to test themselves in the fire of competition. To face down an opponent across the green bays and see if they have what it takes to win. This week, we'll hear from people who have played Sabutio, not just in local or national competitions, but at the very highest level against the best in the game. All that and more coming up in this episode of Finger Flicking Good. Keep listening. In the last episode, we heard from those in the Sabuja community for whom flicking players at home on their own, collecting teams, stadium building, or team painting was never going to be enough. They wanted to be part of something and be able to play against others who, like them, had a love for the game. But what about those for whom simply turning up to a weekly, fortnightly or monthly club night isn't enough? What about those who, once they have played and possibly defeated their clubmates, want to venture further afield and take on opposition that's unknown to them? What about those players who are competitive? Those who want to find out how well they will react when they come up against players from other clubs, other regions and even other countries. How is their competitive itch to be scratched? The obvious answer is through competition, possibly at the highest level. But even the best of you two players have to start somewhere and it's usually at a local club night. Here's Martin Og Bradley of the Derry City Table Soccer Club describing what his first taste of competition as an adult felt like. As an adult, the first competition I played as an adult was our first competition. Whenever, whenever I rediscovered it and we started the club, discovered it, I went. I didn't think of starting a club. I went looking for clubs, and I went on Facebook and the internet. I could find there was a club in Straban. I tried to contact them, nothing. Donegal Subudio, I emailed. Happened. Ah. Uh, so then we started the club in Lawrence. And our first competition was two groups. We had eight people, two group competition. Just fantastic. I mean, that was that was the first time. And the people from Donegal came. And the people that were in Strabane came. We had a boy from Belfast that came. Who else? And my brother from Newtonards came down. I mean, it was great. Eight of us got out of my group, got into the... Well, there was only semi-finals. There was eight in the groups. So top two went through. And then we had semi-finals. I got nine. That was by we James McGillian from Straban. This is all people that we'd never met before. And as soon as we started playing Sabudio, do you know what I mean? Friends for life. People that we were, were never not going to know. Do you know? But that was brilliant. And see, coming up to that, Derek, I was so, so nervous. I was nearly sick, stressed. I only knew through Twitter, and I did message him on Twitter saying, give me your phone number, we, we need to talk here. You know, well, there was four people coming, then there was six people, and then there was eight, and I thought, eight people? Jesus, I can't handle this. But it worked out really well. I remember at the end of that competition, we stood out, stood outside, it was freezing, man, there was ice and everything, and I thought people aren't going to come because of the frost, but we stood outside the Dairy Club after it, and we were like, we were like Wayne's with stars in my eyes. This was brilliant. Jesus, I loved it. I went to bed. I couldn't sleep. I was just so, I had so, such a good time. I had predicted, oh, it'll be horrible. This will go wrong. That will go wrong. I'll be shite. It'll be awful. But no, it was brilliant. Brilliant. I remember Craig was down. He was saying, you know, if you did this once a month, that would probably be enough for people. And Lawrence was like, fuck, once a month, I'll do it tomorrow. I would do it next week again. You know, it was great. It was brilliant. But that was our internal competition and it was won by Brendan, Brendan Rogers from Donegal Sabudio. Now, prior to we WASPA and Phil, all that was still really new to us. You know, we didn't really know what that was. But Brendan, we looked through the church and things, the, the world amateur church, and uh Brendan had a world ranking. 
So we thought, oh, fuck, this boy's coming. He's a world ranking. Didn't know what it was. It was like 300 and 400 or something. But we thought we were getting the cream. And he came up and he won and it was brilliant, you know. And everybody slagging each other, having a bit of crack. Uh, it, it couldn't have been any better. And once that happened, once that went so well, that was it. I was all in, man. Jason Christopher, like Martin Og, had played the game when he was much younger. Coming back to the game years later, he decided to start competing again and enter his first tournament as an adult. Here he is describing what happened when he took the plunge. Yeah. Um, so, so my first fully-fledged tournament as an adult, I suppose, um, after coming back was um, a tournament down in, in Haverhill, at Haverhill Rovers, or Haverhill, I'm not sure how you say it, whether it's Haverhill or Haverhill. Um that was in sort of Cambridge area, I think. Um, went down there with kind of mixed feelings about whether I should be doing it, um, how I would, how I would fare. The lads that or the, the chaps that have been playing a while with the new uh, flat bases and stuff, because I'm, I'm from the old school of the the curling and all that spinning and all that kind of thing. Um, and I hadn't been playing with the flat bases and the sort of super slides uh, very long when I went down there. Um, but actually, I did all right. I ended up winning the, the plate, <laughs> um, the plate tournament. Uh, I think I came third in my group, um, so I went through to the plate and ended up winning the plate, which was which was really nice because I, I never won anything before. <laughs> Martin Ogg's club mate and YouTube co-host on the Sabutio Fantasy League show Lawrence Watson remembers his first competition that took place a little further afield. Well, the first competition, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say the club nights that we had were competitions. Um, obviously, we had a series. We had like a series where we went to a couple of different places in Belfast and played a couple of competitions up there. So I think, I think the first proper one. I'm not sure if we went to the Crusaders first, or I think we might have went. Well, I'll say Wales. I think the the first competition, proper big competition, was we went to Wales. We went to London Road. Um, four of us travelled. Um, went the Friday, played the single competition on the uh, Saturday, individual on the Saturday, and then the team competition on the Sunday. So. Like going there and playing a different like everybody had played before in any local competitions was everybody who came to the Derry City Club, you know, the guys from Belfast, whatever else. So when we went to Belfast and played, you were playing all the same people, you weren't meeting anybody new. Um obviously at the start everybody was new because you didn't know anyone, but going to Wales is definitely the first major competition. Simon Stewart has played the game at the highest level representing Northern Ireland at the World Cup in Birmingham in 2002. But he has vivid memories of his first taste of high-level competition, which took place some years earlier. I can't remember the year. At a high level, uh, it probably would have been one of the Dublin International Opens, maybe around 91, 92. Uh, before that, I'd played like national competitions in Northern Ireland. But that was an eye-opener. We went down, you can imagine the 16, 17-year-olds coming down from Belfast. There was a little group of us from the club, our club in, in Belfast. Uh, we all went down uh, and we, I mean, there was players there. And Eric Nazali was there. Who was? Has he been world champion? I think he has. There was Italians there. There was, it, and it was seeing these sort of European, I don't know if you call them superstars, but these top European players and also players from across the water in Britain coming to Ireland and playing. I remember I had Bob Green, who's a sort of, he's been on the circuit for years, an Australian guy, and he was in my group. So he it, that was like a buzz to play a guy from Australia in my group. Uh, I think he beat me 3-0 or 3-1, something like that. And that was the first big competition I played on, and it was an eye-opener, and we all got the train back afterwards. And the following year, we went back again. And again, I got Bob Green in my group again. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, no harm to Bob. He's, 
<laughs> it would have been nice to maybe get someone else, one of the Italians or maybe, you know, Portuguese player or someone like that. But that, that was the first sort of step up and that was the first eye-opener. And from that, I seen a little advertisement in their program uh, inviting people to come to the International Open of Turin. And it was close to my 18th birthday, so I got back and said to my mom and dad, look, I would like to go to that as my 18th birthday present. Uh, and yeah, and they and they paid for me to, to fly to Turin and I stayed with a guy. And that was another eye-opener, although there wasn't that many foreigners at the competition. I think there was a couple of French guys that come across the Alps to Turin and me, uh, but all the rest were Italian, and that was like, another huge eye-opener. I got Riccardo Marinucci in my group, who's like the head guy of the Speedo Club in Bologna, which is a huge, huge, you know, huge, huge club. Uh, and he was a lovely guy. And from that, that sort of, that sort of hooked me in terms of the sort of festive and international competitions. Uh, but Dublin, it all goes back to Dublin and the the work that was being done there to, to bring people over. And I think what also brought people over to Dublin was the fact that they were all having such great crack as well. The drink was flowing the night before as well. I don't know if that was a ploy to maybe get all the Europeans hung over uh, to give the Irish a better chance. But yeah, that was definitely the, that was definitely the one that got me. Craig Stewart, who we last met in the final episode of Series 3, is another who can clearly remember his first taste of competition as an adult. First competitive Subiru competition that I went to, and I was really, really nervous because I said, I don't want to embarrass myself. But it was down in, I'm nearly sure it was Bangor, and it was in a church hall in Bangor. And Brendan Rogers, who's from Donegal, he was the first sort of guy that I jumped into um, and it was his first competition. Um, and then I met sort of Kenny. I'd, I'd sort of seen Kenny on the internet and stuff. So I knew sort of what he was about and he was about the circuit for years. And Barry obviously never left the game. He's been playing competitively from, from the wage. Um, so yeah, sort of went into the church hall and there was probably four or five tables set up. And I really didn't know what to expect because anything that I had at that early stage, was all just sort of lightweight figures, sort of commercial figures that you would have bought in Leisure World when you were a kid and more just collector's items, but certainly not to the level where you would play competitive Subudio with. Um, and you know what playing competitive Subudio with lightweight figures is like, you know? Um, so went down and uh, there was four or five tables set up and I seen sort of Barry and Kenny and they pulled out these, these teams um, and I think I think Barry Spence had the uh, the sniper bases, whatever they are. You know, they're, they're all familiar to me now. But I sort of looked at them and I was like, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, these 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 figures look immense. And uh, he says, yeah, yeah, you, and he says, look, you can borrow a, a team from from somebody here because you'll not be able to play Subudi with those things, <laughs> the lightweights. <laughs> he started laughing. So um, I got a land of a team and the first game that I played was with Brendan Rogers. Brendan had, uh, that was his first competitive tournament. So um played against Brendan and I actually beat Brendan 3-1 in my first competitive game of Subudio. And I was so, you know, the buzz I got from that was absolutely brilliant. Um, and then obviously I got whopped. Uh, the rest of the, the games, Barry beat me convincingly. Four or five nil. Kenny beat me. I think uh, Ernie Bickerstaff, who's another one that has been around the circuit, he beat me. So, um, but as I say, um, now obviously Brandon is at a level now where he would be playing for uh, when he was playing for Derry. He said he was in the A team and I was in the B team. So taking nothing away from he's progressed a lot more than what I have. Um, but it was it was just a brilliant day, you know. Um, uh, you know seeing the, the sort of the, the league format that they had and the level that they were playing and seeing how competitive it was um, really just brought all the the emotions and, and the buzz back. So that was my first competitive tournament that I had. Elliot Belfontaine is, at 24, one of the youngest and best players in the country. As someone who started playing at the age of eight, he has grown up with the game. His first tournament was as a youngster, 
where he found himself pitted against adults who were much older than he was. It would have been... Oh, that's a big question. Uh, Eva, London International Open in... I think it would have been 2004. So that would probably be one of the first ones. That's one of the stickers I remember getting as a kid. It might have been 2005. Um, or it would be a Huntingdon competition. It was one of the probably local air competitions that my dad was willing to take me to. But um, yeah, it would have been one of them too. One of them was an international open. I'm not sure if the other was an international open or a satellite, but it would have been one of them two tournaments. I think when you're a child, you kind of don't really care as much. And I think there's a lot less expectation on you when you are that young to play in a tournament against adults, but you kind of surprise them a bit more, um, especially from young age, like playing in the London league that we had at the time. I remember winning the third division within the first couple of years of me playing in it, which obviously when you're playing against older people, you're not expected to, but then it kind of gives you that, boost when you're going to play a lot like for instance now I'm playing only against other adults and I've been doing that for 16 years now so you kind of be used to it a lot more um it's it is probably scary I can't really remember too much from when back in them tournaments but it's uh it was more of a learning experience than anything Sabutia was developed as a way for players to recreate the gameplay of association football on a tabletop. So the aim was always to win. And to win, you have to score more goals than your opponent. As someone who recently joined a club, I can say from experience that it's quite a magical feeling when you score a goal, especially against someone who is a more experienced and better player than you. I wondered, therefore, if our contributors all felt the same way when they scored a goal. First up, Lawrence Watson. Oh, well, it's not like scoring the World Cup <laughs> for for your country on a real football pitch. It, it, it's it's amazing, you know. Sometimes you it, it, it's it's funny when you first start out and you get in front of the goal and you panic and you f- you fluff your lens and you you foul flick or you 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 hit it wide and you're thinking, I'm never going to get good at this game. And then it comes to you and it gets a wee bit easier and next thing you're, you're knocking them in and when you're hitting them, it's that noise where it hits the back, especially if you're using the metal nets and the ball hits the back of the metal net and it makes that pinging noise and it's just a great feeling. And then when you do score, you don't want to be, you wouldn't really find anyone who celebrates. Um, It's more like a, a restrained celebration. It's more like a, a fist pump and a yes rather than a loud cheer and scream or whatever. You know, you see the Italians on playing in the Festive World Cup and you see them cheering and roaring and screaming. That's a different level of like them boys, this is life to them, you know, Subudio is life. Um whereas to us it's just a bit of crack, bit of fun, relaxed atmosphere. And it's a fist pump and a wee cheer. And it's it's great feeling. Jason Christopher has mixed feelings about scoring. Uh, well, I'll try. Um, sometimes it differs. Um, I had an, had an experience uh, the other night. Um, I say the other night, the last time we played at, at the club. Um, occasionally you'll get a game where you do really well. Um, we, we've got a, a handicap limit. So if you score more than five goals, the score reverts to 5-0, irrespective of how many you get. Um, and when I, if I go like 3-0 up, I tend to be really sort of almost embarrassed to get another goal. So I feel really, sometimes I feel really bad about scoring if I'm like 3-0 up. But um, conversely, when you're playing against a, a really, really good opponent, um, and you manage to score. The the feeling is you just you just want to fist pump the air. You want to celebrate like you're scoring a, a goal in normal football, really. Yeah, so it's a feeling of elation when you score. 
Um, but I, I do tend to get a little bit embarrassed if I'm if I'm beating somebody heavily. Uh, I don't I don't wish to sound arrogant um, in that respect because it doesn't happen very often. Um, but if it does happen, then I, I I almost feel embarrassed about it because I don't I don't want to be annihilating people. I want them to carry on playing. I want them to, you know, love the game and keep on playing and not get put off by heavy defeats and stuff like that. So, yeah, mixed feelings on scoring really. When playing at the highest level, scoring can often lead to fear. Simon Stewart can testify to. Uh, it depends at that sort of level. At that sort of level, maybe if you're playing someone who should be beating you and you've taken the lead, it's it's kind of fear for what's going to come next, the onslaught, and whether you can hang on and maybe you can catch one on the break. Uh, if it's a consolation goal, maybe you're already getting hammered by one of these top players. You know, it's kind of nice to to get a goal against them. You can say, oh, well, at least I scored against your man. Uh, funny, one of the, the biggest memories... I- up weirdly is in my first group game in the World Cup I played the eventual winner so he went on to win the competition I think he beat me 4-0 but at 0-0 I hit the post and I was quite I thought oh my god you know maybe maybe I can score against this guy you know and you never know what might happen and then he, he moved into second gear and beat me uh, without going out of second gear Elliot Bellefontaine is another who has played at the highest level He's quite philosophical about scoring goals and celebrating. It's not something he really does. I think it kind of changes per game. Because if it's a game where you've, like, for instance, for me, if I'm struggling in a game and I know I should be doing better if I score, I will probably celebrate a bit more because it means a bit more to me. Whereas if it's a game where I'm, it's my third or fourth goal, I'm not going to be celebrating. It's just a normal feeling because I'm sh- it's something that I should be doing rather than being happy that I've done something that was my aim anyway. <laughs> um, with some players, I know they do it as a tactic to try and put off the other player by screaming and shouting um, to get in the other person's head, but I don't really think that would affect a lot of top players anyway. Craig Stewart loves playing the game so much that to him, scoring goals and being beaten in matches are two sides of the same emotional coin. Ah, absolutely immense. Very, can't really describe it. And you need to have Subudio in your blood to understand the feeling of scoring a goal or winning a match. And on on the other side of the coin, the disappointment you feel whenever you're beat. As I said in my last podcast with you, you know, I've I've went and I've watched Rangers all across Europe and Northern Ireland all across Europe. And, you know, you've been devastated. You've watched, you've watched them get beat penalties in some cases and getting knocked out of Europe and whatever it was. And, you know, you're just, you're, you're gutted for days. The actual... The actual emotions you feel when when you score a goal in Sabudio, especially with somebody you're playing close or you don't expect the beat, um, it's just it's 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 just a great feeling and it's a great hobby and it brings out just fantastic emotions in you. And after a stressful day or a stressful week, whenever you play a Sabudio competition, you score goals and you win matches. Um, my last tournament there, I get into the plate final. I was beat convincingly by Kian. Ian Matthews, I'm sure we all know. Um, but I got the final of, of, of the plate. And um, it's just, just the buzz you get from it is just immense. Absolutely immense, mate. I'll leave the last word on scoring goals to Martin or Bradley. Unlike the others, he is unequivocal about what it feels like to score. Fuck. It's a crack cocaine. It's anti-on it must be it must be what crack cocaine feels like. First goal you'll ever score in a competition, that's just, that's just, goal, anytime. Ah, it's brilliant, man. Like getting a shot in the arm. There's nobody can say they don't like scoring goals. And when Tom Burns in Glasgow says he loves scoring goals, he loves scoring goals that much. He keeps trying to score goals. And then he's no defence, so everybody scores more goals against him. But he doesn't care, it's just the getting goals. Goals is, 
you nearly collect goals more than you would collect some of the real teams. No, it's a brilliant feeling, man. It's great scoring a goal. If scoring a goal is such an intense feeling for Martinog, then surely defeat at any stage in competitive play must be crushing for him. I was surprised, therefore, by how nuanced his response was. Well, that depends, doesn't it? That depends who you're playing, how you lost, and how much you lost by. You could play somebody who's really, really good, you know was far better than you, and they might beat you 1-0. Somebody, somebody was really good, I mean really good, and I knew, and everybody knows they're really good. Kenny Beggs plays with us. But be like, he's, Kenny Beggs is top drawer, okay? So if Kenny Beggs beats me 1-0, or Mark Farrell, he's pro, if Eiler Lamboys beat me 1-0, then I can set a ladder one. I've won this. Do you know what I mean? Because they, they used to beat me 5 0, 4 0. Do you know? Now, if, if I was, was way if somebody really good came over, one of the chaff fours or one of, the, one of the top names in Subidio came over and beat me 8 9 0, I'd be expecting it. And I wouldn't be disappointed. Wouldn't be disappointed. Now, if I was playing somebody who was on the same level as me, and I played well, or if I was playing better, and they got a scabby goal against me, and then I couldn't score the rest of the game, I'd be disappointed. I'd be disappointed then. Or if there's somebody that, you know, you've had arguments with in the past, or you hate playing, and they beat you, nah, you would hit that. If you think you should win, but you get beat, it can be quite disappointing. But, if you're playing somebody who's the same level as you and you's, you know, you're normal people that get on, just gentlemen about things, and you lose a match, you know what I mean? It's okay. Maybe next time I'll win. That, that's the sort of, that's the way it goes. I went to Glasgow, played in their GP, and as soon as it started, and what he called was doing the announcements about what how it's going to run, I thought... It's too much for me. It's too professional. And the first match was stood from Gibraltar. Came out. Lovely, lovely. But I so badly. He started the match. Like, if you don't know who you're playing, you started a wee bit cautious. You know, you don't know how good this guy is or how poor, but I played awful. Okay. The stress, the whole situation got to me. Couldn't, couldn't make contact with the ball. And this dude... He bit me 7-0. First game in a big festive tournament. But after the three goals, I mean, it was my fault. I kept missing blocks. I kept opening up my back lane. Even the referee said, when he got the five, the referee was like, come on, man. And I was, oh, it's all right. And your man was like, it's not my fault. I can't help it. He keeps, do you know what I mean? It was wide open. In gallery, you couldn't, you couldn't not have scored against me. So I got bit 7-0. Wasn't disappointed. Really loved it. The next game, I got beat 4-0. And it was Martin Belfontaine. And it was he was lovely, lovely fellow, man. And I was chatting to him before we started playing. And he was always fed up with the video. He's given it up. The only reason he comes is because his son Elliot was going. And uh, even the weekends away weren't interesting to know. But the video was finished with. Kept getting bit. He says, kept getting bit. He bit me 4-0. And he was all buzzing, loving himself. And he's been back playing video ever since. And then I get bit 4-0 by one of the Austrians. Your man has, can't remember which one. But he was lovely about it, man. He's he's like an elite player, do you know what I mean? And I'm some muck man from Derry coming over two balls together. And he bit, well, he bit me 4-0, man, but he could have bit me 20-0. But it was lovely, it was lovely about it, really civil. Pointing, and you find that whenever you're playing guys like that and they're hammering you, they start pointing out things you should do. No, no, don't do that. Do you know? And encouraging you to take a shot when you're maybe wouldn't take a shot. Or so now nah, I don't mind getting beat, but it depends who beats me. Lawrence Watson is another for whom losing depends on who it is he loses to. In his case, there's a friendly rivalry with a clubmate involved. Here he is explaining how this rivalry works. Uh, well. 
I'll, I'll, I'll use Saturday as recent as Saturday in our Derry Open. Um, myself and Craig Stewart, we normally play for the when we play together because he supports Rangers and I support Celtic. We play for like a wee trophy when we play each other, no matter what, we have a trophy. It's called the Stan Firm Cup. So it's sort of like the old firm derby, but we've made a wee cup out of it. So it's like the equivalent of the rugby Calcutta Cup. So every time I created this trophy, so every time me and him play, we play for this trophy. So he had, he's held on to it from before lockdown. He got it before lockdown. He's held on to it since. So I played him in the, I think it was first knockout round of the, the plate. Um, Absolutely battered him. Like, I mean, I think he had one shot on target. I don't think he got out of his half the whole first half. I mean, I was just all over him. Couldn't score. Bad shooting. Finger fouls when I went to have a clear shot and goal. Finger fouling. Um, hit the post. I had a stage where I had about 15 corners in a row. Um, and then went the extra 10. Goal and goal. No goal. Same thing again. Couple of chances. Never scored. Went to shots and he beat me one nil in shots, and it was more. It was more the annoying that I had so many chances and didn't put them away. So I was more annoyed with myself rather than him beating me. You know, it was I should have had the game wrapped up. Um, and he went on to reach the plate final and played Kane. So when I seen him going through all the rounds after that, and I was thinking, how could have been? It should have been me. Should have put it to bed. But you go to shots and it's anybody's game. And he beat me one 0 in shots. It was just like I think he scored his first his first penalty, and I missed every one since, and he missed every one since. Um, so that is annoying. That's hard to take. There's a more annoying side when you're having a bad game and you're three 0 down after a few, say the first three or four minutes, and you're three 0 down, and every goal goes in. You don't even want to try. You're not even trying to save it. It's like that feeling you just don't want to be there no more. That could be your first... It, and sometimes it happens in your first game and it sets the tone for the rest of the tournament. So you could concede three in your first five minutes of the first half. You could end up losing 6 now, and that's you for the rest of the day. It's like, I don't even want to be here. I don't even want to play. You have to get out of the funk. You know, sometimes you have to walk away, have a paint, sit in a dark room, don't let anyone annoy you, and then come back and refocus through your other games. Sometimes it doesn't happen. You just, that's the rest of your tournament's out the window. But that feeling when someone just keeps scoring against you and you start getting you start getting annoyed and you can feel yourself burning up. I don't want to be here, you know, that sort of feeling. So it has that effect on you sometimes as well. Jason Christopher is someone for whom winning isn't everything. Playing the game, it seems, and getting better at it is what it's all about for him. Um, I suppose it, sometimes it can depend on who you're playing against. Um, if you're playing against someone you've never beaten before um, and you you think, right, this is your time, I'm going to do it kind of thing, and then you don't do it, that that's that's a bit disheartening, really. Um, in general sort of general sort of terms, I, t- I take it as it comes. Um, if I win, I win. If I lose, I lose. It's no, it's no big deal. Um, when I when I played when I was a kid, I used to get to a lot of finals and semi-finals, but I never actually won anything. So it was kind of it. It was good to it was good to get to a final. It was good to get to a semi-final. Um, but it, it wasn't the end of the world if I if I lost. Um, you just try and up your game the next time you play that particular person. Um, there's a, there's a couple of people that I'd, I'd really like to get a result against now. In fact, but I know I'm I'm way off doing that. So, in order to in order to get better, you've got to play better players, obviously. Um, to improve, you've got to you've got to play the better players. Um, and I suppose looking forward to the next time I play those players, yes, it, it probably will be disappointing if if I lose to them again. But you've got to keep at it in order to eventually get get that win. As someone who plays the game at the highest level, you'd expect Elliot Belfontaine not to like losing. But you'd be surprised by his answer to that question. Terrible. <laughs> to be honest, terrible. Um, it depends. If if you've played badly and you know it's your fault, it's probably worse than someone playing a lot better than you. And 
you just have to accept it. But things like that happen. It's it's not anything that um, is the end of the world, really. It's it's just a game in the end of the day. Um, yeah, I, I obviously don't like losing, but when you lose to someone who's playing better or is a better player, then you can understand it. All of our contributors have played in competitions, some of them at the very highest level. So what is it they get out of it? Is it simply the taking part, or is there the challenge of testing yourself against the best and seeing what you have to offer in comparison? For Lawrence Watson, though, it's the social side of the game that drives him to enter competitions. The buzz after, the, bu- the buzz of the whole weekend, you know, having a few beer and going out on the Saturday night with all the different clubs there and, and having a few beer and going for a meal and all. It's just brilliant. And then you, you make friends for life. Um, You know, obviously we had them all over here at the weekend again and we're all caught up and best of crack with them and all and out again having beers and just... And everybody just wants to talk about Sabirio and building the game, you know, so. Elliot Belfontaine won the recent Derry Open. And here he is describing what it felt like to take part again in competition after the recent strains of lockdown. Yeah, it was lovely for, for someone like me who travels a lot during a year to go to tournaments. It was kind of getting that feeling of going back to normal, especially the socialising with other people and it was quite nice. Obviously, a lot of the uh, English lads went over who I know very well um, and had a drink, had a laugh. And especially with all of the dairy lads as well, it was brilliant. Like, uh, most of the time I was drinking with them, having a laugh and uh, not, not having to worry about the studio until it came around. <laughs> as I said earlier, some of our contributors have even played at World Cups. Here's Simon Stewart again, this time describing what he learned about himself by playing at the highest level. That I'm not at the highest level is, is what I've discovered from playing at the highest level. You know, I'm, I'm second, third division, uh, third or fourth tier in old money. Uh, but these guys are, are top, top players uh, and I'm not there to win it. I'm there to simply experience playing these great players, try to keep the score down and hopefully get out of my group. Uh, it can be quite intense, I guess. Uh, I didn't find the World Cup that intense because I didn't go with any expectations. And when I went and played there, I'd only been back playing again for a few months. Uh, but I find it, I, I have to confess, I find when you get to the latter stages, although... The level is so good and you watching these players is so good. It, it, it's all a bit too serious for me, uh, which is why I hate refereeing. I don't mind refereeing maybe the early stages, some of the junior games, but the later stages, I find that they maybe take themselves a little too seriously, to be honest. Uh, but that's, you know, I guess to be a winner, you know, you've got to take it seriously. Uh, and you've got to have that sort of drive and ambition to do that. But for me, it for me, I, I I can't relate to that. You know, I can't relate to that. Yeah, I'll I'll try my best. I'll focus. But at the end of the game, unless something's happened during the game that's really pissed me off, maybe the other guy has cheated, which has happened to me. Uh, you know, quite badly. Uh... For Elliot Belfontaine, who plays competitively in festive tournaments for a club in Austria. It's not just the tournaments that competitive play has given him. Here he is describing the other things that playing the game competitively has provided him with. See, for, for me, I kind of have continued playing because I can get to travel around the world and see new places, meet new people. And it's just the experience of it all, um, which ties in with something where I, I really enjoy playing to be, you know, anyway. So before I was playing football and um, I can't do that anymore. So I was just like, well, this is a good way of getting some sort of football type game in, involved in my life now and um, going around the world, traveling to places, just brilliant. Like the people you meet, like, you do get some people that you won't, <laughs> won't care about, but most of the people are lovely and um 
make friends for life nearly. Craig Stewart travelled to Portugal to take part in the Europa League with the Wolverhampton Table Soccer Club. I asked him what he had learnt from travelling to play in a major festive tournament. Yeah, it was a great learning curve and it was it was hard. Um, the festive games and the festive tournaments is a lot different than the WASPA games, the WASPA tournaments. You know, the WASPA ones are just a lot more sort of relaxed and, 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 and socially sort of interactive. You know, in the Derry City, you know, we're, we're a WASPA club in Derry City. And we're sort of the reason why we've been sort of thinking about it and, and having meetings about it and having Zoom calls about maybe registering um, along the sort of lines of, of, of festive. But we have the sort of was the, the the Waspa ethos in our blood in, in Derry City. You know, we like the ethos of of the, of of what Waspa stands for, and it stands for maybe you know just introducing people to the game, bringing them in. Um, and that's the sort of ethos that we have. But in, w w when I went to Lisbon, obviously, just briefly, I'll tell you about that. Um, I played quite well over in Wolverhampton in our home nations tournament. And obviously, I caught the eye of the Wolverhampton boys. And they invited me over as a fourth man. Whether whether it was that or whether they just enjoyed the night on the, the piss the night before with me, I, do, I, I honestly don't know. But either way, they invited me over. And um, we we went over to Lisbon. I was the fourth man, and you were humbled. You know that the level that these guys play in is just unbelievable. You know the Italians and the Maltese, uh, the Portuguese, the Spanish. You know you were mixing it with all these guys, and um, we were playing competitions or sorry matches against, for example, Sporting Lisbon, uh, a team from Milan, a team from Malta, a team from Greece. And it was a privilege to watch Subiru being played at that level. Um, if I'd only one criticism about it, in the fist of tournaments, you know, there is an extra level of intensity and passion that could really intimidate players that are really wanting to progress, you know. It didn't put me off because of, you know, things like that don't sort of um, intimidate me. But um, psychological warfare is a very big part of fist of tournaments. So nearly bullying the bullying the, the 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 opponent in the submission, and that's a big cycle. You know, you know the big Italian guys will will really try and psych you out of the game um, before it even reaches half time. You know, and it's it's an uncomfortable feeling sometimes. But when you play it at that level, um, yeah. That's something that you have to expect, you know. But it was, it was, it was very, very good and a very different experience playing in a top festive tournament than um, one of our sort of regular WASP tournaments. I'm not saying it's not enjoyable; it is enjoyable. I, I get different things from it, um, but it was, it, it, it was, it was certainly an experience. Um, but you have to appreciate the level that these guys and girls. Um, some girls not actually that, that, that they were playing at it was fantastic you know so after all we've heard is playing the game competitively and entering competitions the only way to play Sabutio Martin Og Bradley whose views on solo play are well known doesn't think so uh, no well, well when you say competitively Solo Sabirio is stupid. It's stupid. It's not a solo. It was never a solo game. You know, it's... I mean, you can play chess against the computer, but you can't play Sabirio against the computer. You're playing against... It's just, it's stupid. But a boy should get to get, get a friend. I mean, when you say competitive, competitive Sabirio doesn't have to be a big competition, a big serious competition that's been organised and go to an event and you have a number and, you know, no... Competitive. If you play any, if you play three anything's in an ace card game with one of your kids, it's competitive. Do you know what I mean? It's very lighthearted and it's a bit of crack. But Subiru is the same thing. You get a friend and you play him. You're, you know, the point of the game. Even you're playing against yourself. 
the point of the game is to score goals and win. You know that that is the point of the game, isn't it? If you if you're not scoring, winning, I like but if you're playing yourself, are you just going to do all the time? So those about the silly, silly. No, I people strong out in Sabudio. I can really understand that because I'm strong out on it. I, you know what I mean? I drunk the Kool-Aid or whatever they say. I'm all in on Sabudio. But it's about the playing it. Now, they, them solo boys are the same. Love Sabudio. They obviously love it that much that they're going to sit and play it themselves, with themselves. Now, I'm sure if one of them dudes had a friend lived 10 minutes away who loved Sabudio just as much as they did, they would be each other rather than playing solo. Why would you play solo Sabudio? Unless you you had nobody to play with. You know what I mean? And see see the see even the language I'm using. It's a kid's game. It's a game. It's about a crack. I have nobody to play with, so I'm gonna play on my own. And the, if you're if you're living somewhere where there is no clubs, there is Sabudio people think it's hard to imagine that somebody wouldn't know what Sabudio was, let alone not like it. Do you know what I mean? Sabudio people find that shocking. Whereas the rest of the world says, well, what's Sabudio? You play that with the wee men? Do you know what I mean? What, what age are you sort of thing? Most niche game I could imagine going. But the us inside the community, well, as we think, we, we love and breathe Sabudio. All we look at on the internet, Sabudio. My Facebook is full of Sabudio for following people. This Twitter thing, it's all Sabudio, you know. So as far as my worldview is quite pointed at Sabudio, but the rest of the world isn't. And you could be living somewhere where you don't know anybody that plays it that has no interest in it, and they have no choice, maybe, but they play a game of Sabudio. They want to play a game of Sabudio so much that they've resorted to else. You know, it's still a bit silly, but I can see where they're coming from. No slagging, no disrespect at all to them. But I mean, I, I would much rather, I would get in a car and I'd drive for two hours for a game of Sabidio. Jason Christopher started as a solo player, so he understands what it is that drives them. But even he thinks that competition is the way forward. Um, yeah, I mean, I was an only child growing up. Um, so yeah, it was always solo on the, on the carpet to start with. That's how I started. Um, and then I joined the, the Reddings League. Um, and that was, that was, I know it's going to sound strange, but that was a different ball game. Um, you know, you come up against people and all of a sudden, the competitiveness sort of comes into it. Um, yeah, I would say Sabutio isn't really Sabutio unless you're playing against somebody else. But the solo solo stuff is good. It's good practice. Um, it's a good way of keeping your hand in, for want of a better phrase. And um, the, there are some, you know, really good solo leagues. Um, some that take it more seriously than others. Some just do it just for the laugh. Um, but it's like most things. It's horses for courses. Although he enjoys playing in competitions, Lawrence Watson doesn't think that people have to play competitively to get the most out of being in a club. At times, he feels, competitive play can become particularly tiresome, especially against certain opponents. I don't know. I don't. I, I'm, I can go around the Martins and play him a game of video and just be relaxed and chilled out and he'll be competitive all the whole time. I mean there's no there's like he'll call every foul and I'll be saying like that's not a foul. Martin, that wasn't a foul or that that was a free kick to me and he'll say no chance and he's he's a hundred percent competitive. Whereas I can be like relaxed and chilled and just say don't worry man, it's it's only a goal. Uh, you know, three now if you're beating me three now that's fine. I can be relaxed about it. Um but again, that that depends on the mindset before you go into the game. You know, you could be in a, a mood where you're just in a good mood, and you couldn't nothing can annoy you. So you don't want to be like I'm not 
100 percent com- competitive every time I play the game, and I, I think more people can be like that. Um, I definitely think there's people there that are not. I wouldn't be Martin all the time, but there is guys that are just 100 percent committed to the whole game every time, and there's no you be you just take everything too serious. Everything annoys them. They want fouls. They want free kicks. They're calling everything, and you're the same man. You you need to calm down. <laughs> you know. That wasn't a foul, or that wasn't a, your throw, or you know, and they'll argue everything. You know, it's like that. It'd be, it'd be like I don't know if you see your man plays for Chelsea, Aston Villa, He play, I think he plays right back. He's a captain of Chelsea. He's the most competitive player you'll see on a football pitch. Everything he calls for, everything calls for, every throw calls for, every corner, every free kick against him, every you know, everything that's against he calls for a free kick on himself, even though he's not fouled. You know. That's the sort of person you do meet people like that in Subutio, and they're the most annoying people to play against. So when you see them in a in the draw and you see them getting drew out in your your group, I say, like, oh man, I don't even want to play him. You know, it's he's the hardest person to play against because he just never stops crying or yapping for free kicks or and and sometimes you just want to say to him, calm down. It's only a game. We're all friends at the end of this. You're not walking away with money. You're walking away with a wee plastic trophy. Calm down and just enjoy the game. But there's no there's no speaking then. So I can do it. Some people can't. Um, and some people just it's just natural to people not to not to have that relaxed attitude towards the game. Like Lawrence, Simon Stewart doesn't believe that making every game competitively is healthy. Here he is describing how he likes to mix things up a little at club nights. No, for me, you know, different clubs have different sort of, you know, ways of doing things. I know at Derry, they make every club night a competition now. I'm, I, I wouldn't subscribe to that, I have to say. You know, I like what we were doing at St. Pauli. We would have a, a monthly uh, competition. And the other weeks, it's sort of more relaxed. I, I don't want to play with that intensity intensity every single week. Now, some people say, oh, well, you get better by playing that and da-da-da-da-da, but not for me. I I like to bring my old lightweights or heavyweights along with me and play with them as well. You know, I like that. I like not having the pressure of having... Or the, or the pressure I put on myself to do as well as I can in a competition... Uh, not not to win, but to do as well as I can. So I don't like I I personally don't like that. But if that's what a club does, and I'm a, I'm a member of that club, well then yeah, I'm going to turn up and I'm going to, I guess, try and, and and play to that level. But I don't personally personally like that. I. Craig Stewart is another who, like Simon, doesn't think that competitive play is the be all and end all of the game. For him, it's about developing the game at grassroots level. Here he is describing the difference between his club, Derry City, and other clubs who play the festive competitions. No, absolutely not. No, I don't. I don't think any everything has to be a competition. The way we run our our sort of season during normal circumstances, not so much over the last year or two. Um, but we would play a wasp competition once a month, and then the alternate fortnight we'll play like a league format. I don't enter the league because it's just too much for me to travel up every fortnight. So I only go to the, the WASPA competitions. Um, but Subutio's there for everybody whenever they want to play it and however they want to play it. We have the ethos. It's just all about getting people into the game again as an adult and bringing the, the young generation into it again, you know. And that's why we have our YouTube podcast, uh, you know, Lawrence is doing a fantastic job. Uh, Lawrence and Martin Ogre are doing a fantastic job. And I know I sort of do my bit in it as well. And sort of everybody chips in. And it's really the only way um, we can get advertising to be doing this country. And you can see with the turnout that we had during our last tournament that our YouTube channel and our our, our, our weekly our weekly sort of fantasy football talk um has, has has sort of gripped the Subido community in the UK and a lot in Europe as well. We're getting a lot of guests and and we had to close the books for the Derry City Open because we, that we had so much interest from across the water for people coming over. 
Um, we actually had to close it because the social club just wasn't big enough to take the amount of people that was interested in coming over. And we were actually considering at one point actually moving it to a different venue. Maybe that's something we'll talk about next year. Um, but it shows you, and, and you know, the YouTube channel, it, it is a bit of fun, but primarily it is about trying to um, put the word of Subido out there um, to the Subido community and, and what we're about. Um, but yes, to answer your question, it's definitely not just the competitions that you can get involved in. There's all sorts, you know, and if it's just maybe, uh, for example, if I'm up in, in sort of Derry, London, Derry working, um, I could maybe phone Martin or, or Lawrence if they're if, if they're in for a lunch and go and have a game with them, you know, and I've done that before. I've, I've called into Martin's shed and just had a game at a lunchtime when I was between doing between doing sales calls. Um there's absolutely no reason. Um, uh, we had another guy, Colin, who, who came up from uh, uh, Meath, I think it was, and it was his first time, and, and he had an absolutely fantastic day. There's no doubt he's going to be up. And he's more than welcome to meet me sort of anywhere for a game of Subutio. I'll I'll play anyone anywhere, um, to either introduce them to the game or if I'm free, just coming down on a night to my house. I have a garage, putting up the table, having a couple of beers on a Friday night, putting some food on and just bringing them down and, and playing a couple of games. So you don't have to play, you know, Sabudo is a social thing. It's not just all about competitions, you know. <clears throat> to end the episode, I wanted to find out how long our contributors saw themselves playing the game for. Did any of them, for example, have plans for retirement? First up is our youngest contributor, Elliot Belfontaine. But even though he thinks there might be a limit on how long he plays for, He's still keen to develop the next generation of competitive players. Until my back goes. <laughs> I think um, for me, I just, I've never had a point in my life where I've went, I don't want to do this anymore. I've, I enjoy it too much. And I had a discussion with the missus basically saying the kids, when I have kids, they're playing. <laughs> I can teach them from a young age. And um I don't think I'll stop until, <laughs> probably until it dies out because there's not as many young people playing. But um, yeah, I can't see myself stopping. There's too much fun, too much social side of things. Just... Lawrence Watson, for one, will continue to play as long as his body allows, mainly because he wants to be a better player. Um... I would like I would like to be better. Um I would like to be as good as the guys that came here at the weekend. Um, you know, Elliot Jude de Belfontaine came over here and he was just like the most frightening player. I watched him and his father playing. Um and it was it was giving me anxiety that how good they were. You know, they were just I was I was refereeing the game and I was going, I can't even see if if they've been hitting the ball or was there a foul. It's just so quick and so fast, and I would love to be that good. So, I think I'll just keep playing until I'm that good, and then when I'm that good, I'll go right over the tire. <laughs> but no, I don't. Think, I I don't see me ever wanting to stop playing. Um, I don't have any reason to stop playing. Anyway, I mean they they get rich guys are in their fifties here at the weekend, sixty. You know, I know people are playing their seventies. So. It, Unless there was something stopping me from playing, like a an illness or arthritis wasn't he- helping me play, and I, I had to stop, um, or if the club decided to fold up and there was nobody playing, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't resort to going and playing solo, or I wouldn't sit in the house and play a meal, you know, sit, keep a table just for the sake of keeping it. So, I mean, as long as there's a club and as long as there's people playing, I'll always play the game. I don't think I'll ever step away from it and say, retire or anything like that. You know, people, I think people who say, oh, I'm retiring from Sabrudio are just looking a bit of attention. They're looking for people to go, oh, don't retire, you know, or come out of retirement. We need you, you know, that sort of thing. It's a game of Sabrudio. It's a couple of hours a week. It's not like, it's not putting your uh, muscles under stress. It's not like you're getting up on Monday morning to go to work and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have played that competition at the weekend. I'm wrecked, you know. Um, it's, it's 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 like going out for the weekend, basically, and having a few beer and chilling out and playing some video. It's not like it's you're going to a football match and 
you've been kicked up and down the pitch all day and you're thinking to yourself, I'm too old for this. I don't think you're ever going to be too old for Sabudio. So, no, I can't see me stopping playing anytime soon or anytime in the future. For Jason Christopher, it'll be health problems that stop him playing, if indeed anything does. But if the time comes when he can no longer play the game competitively, there are other options available for him that would keep him involved in the community. <laughs> um, I think it all depends on how long my hip lasts and how long my eyesight lasts. Um, I'd like to say I'll carry on. But, um, you, 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 you never know, do you? You never know what's around the corner, I suppose. I know... Um, at the moment, I've got a I've got a bit of a hip problem. I've got to see a specialist in September. Um, I'm probably a bit too young to be having a replacement, but if it needs to be replaced, then it needs to be replaced. It's one of those things. Whether I'll be then on my feet, mobile, around the table, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Not being able to play Sabutio because of an injury. But um, I don't know. I mean, I suppose these days I'm probably more of a painter than I am a player. And as long as I've got my hands and my eyesight, I'll, start, I'll carry on doing that. Whether I can still, you know, play around the table remains to be seen, I guess. But um, I'll, I'll keep going as long as I can. Simon Stewart, however, is much clearer about what would stop him playing the game. I don't know, Derek. Uh, as, long, as long as it remains fun, I guess, because when it stops being fun, then I'll stop playing competitively. Uh, that could be after the next competition. I don't know. Uh, it all really depends. Uh, so I don't. I, I can't. I can't answer that question. Can I see myself playing Subidio forever? I, I don't know that either. And well, well, I say forever until I, I pop off my perch. But I, I don't know. As long as it continues to be fun, I'll continue to play. But when it stops being fun, I'll stop playing or, or stop stop playing at those competitions anyway. Craig Stewart loves the game. He loves it so much, he can't see the day he ever gives it up. Well, at least not until the very end. I'm going to play the game till the day I die, Derek. From now on. I, I, I can't get enough of it. I love it. It's a great, it's just a great, and I'm so glad that I've been introduced to the game again. It's not just playing the game, the buzz I get from the game. As I said in the last podcast, it's either in your blood or it's not. It's as simple as that. You know, and and everybody that plays it will know that. And everybody that doesn't play it just go, what are you doing? You're flicking some plastic figures about a AstroTurf. You know, you're you're 43 years old. But the people that play competitive Subudio and even social Subudio, they'll all relate to what I'm talking about. It's in your blood. And if it's not in your blood, it's not as simple as that. You know, so... I'll always be playing it and I'll always enjoy playing it and I'll never get intimidated or embarrassed by playing it um, because you, t- you do get a bit of banter from people that don't play it and um, I, I just don't care. I, I don't care what they say, you know, because it's a hobby of mine, you know, um, it, it keeps my mind occupied. It, it You know, it's you can have worst hobbies in life and it's just, you know, for, for example, the Derry City Open there, it was our first tournament in two years. I'm sorry, my first tournament in two years. And the night before, I could hardly sleep the night before. It was like getting up on Christmas morning and went up to the competition and I played well. I got into the final. Um, I retained my wee sort of internal trophy that me and Lawrence played for, which sort of gave me a good buzz. It's, it's, it's down, down in my house for another few months now. And then we went out that night, had dinner. Um, with with the English boys and, and and Rudy as well was there, and then we had a bit of karaoke that night, and I've signed off with a live performance of my karaoke for for a while. I'll, I'll probably do it again, but I'm sort of taking a break off it for a while. Um, but we just had a brilliant night and a brilliant a whole a brilliant day, and that's what it's all about: just socialising, meeting new people. And to answer your question, I'm never going to stop playing it. My fingers will have to fl- fall off or my legs. Martin Og Bradley, for one, never sees himself giving up the game. As someone who loves the game as much as he does, in his opinion, if he gives up on Subutio, he gives up on life. 
Oh, I'll not stop now. I'll not stop now. Even if our whole club folded and nobody here played anymore, then granted, I wouldn't play as much, but play. I would make a point of travelling. I would go to England. I would travel, take a weekend away to place a video competition somewhere else. You know what I mean? I have friends, boys here that uh, will always go looking for a game as a video. It's a bad, I don't do anything else. You know, I've no, I've no other hobby. I don't know. It's not even a hobby, like is it? It's just something I do. I place a video. Everybody I know who knows me knows that I place a video. You know, people would say, "Oh, that's Mark. No, he's he's at the video, but he is at the video club." But you know, I, I love it. What 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 do you love that you would say? I'm not going to do that anymore. Maybe if I get to the end, maybe if my hips go, which they're not great. Which aren't great, you know. I mean, back. Although we do have quite high tables in our club for people's backs. You know, unless something physically, or if I got that thing where your hand cramps up, you know, can't remember what you call it. Something, or if I lost an arm in an accident. Yeah. You know, if something like that happened where physically I was unable to play, I don't I don't see me getting fed up. I wouldn't get fed up. If you were thinking, I'm getting a bit fed up with this competition or had one game and, and played well or just or just had good fun, just enjoyed yourself. No, 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 that's me. I'm back. I was mad. What was I talking about giving this up? Never. Never giving it up. I'm never going to give it up, man. Why? Why would I? You know, like I say, if it's, it's just a game. It's a game that you can play that isn't very. It can be. It can be. You no, know, if you're at a competition, you're playing all day long, maybe like a 10 man league, and you don't get to sit down the whole day. Ah, it takes it out of you. But I mean, we're not running up and down a pitch for 90 minutes, are we? So, no, I'll never give it up. Why? 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 I couldn't see any people do give it up. I don't know why. I don't know why. But I'll tell you what, they might give it up, but they're not throwing their box in the bun. So there's many as one will always come back to it. For those who have never played the game competitively, I hope this episode has allowed you a glimpse inside the world of the competitive player and what they get out of playing the game against other people. Many of these players are not collectors, nor are they stadium builders or team painters. For them, the hobby is all about playing. And if this has inspired you, then why not get in touch with a local club and take that first step to competitive play? Or alternatively, why not get together with some friends and set up your own club under the WASPA banner? You only need three players to set up and constitute a WASPA competition. Contact details for Vincent Coppinall, who runs WASPA, are in the show notes. In the final episode of the podcast, we'll be looking at what the community thinks the future holds for the hobby and talk to many of the people who have contributed to this show over all four series. So if you don't want to miss the final show, then subscribe to Finger Flicking Good on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finger Flicking Good is an airtime production. It's written and presented by me, Derek Eyre, with contributions from Elia Belfontaine, Martin R. Bradley, Jason Christopher, Craig Stewart, Simon Stewart and Lawrence Watson. The theme music is Drive. It's written and produced especially for the programme by Campbell Air of the Champion. Check them out on Apple Music, Amazon Music and Spotify.